Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the penultimate episode of season 1.5. And once again here on In the Lamplight, we are connecting you with the stars of world music. With Steve Wickham in season one, we heard first-hand tales of what it was like to work with Bob Dylan and The Edge. And now today's guest, Sandy Kelly, fills us in on top, top names such as Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson. Indeed, we had such a great chat that we couldn't fit it all into one episode. And so part one of the show goes out today, Wednesday, and you can hear part two from Friday. Luke and Rory, you are welcome to the podcast. How are you, Kieran? I am great. Thank you, Rory. And I have a specific question for you both today before we get into the chat with Sandy. Awesome. Again, for a change. For a change, yeah. But a bit, of, a bit of background first before the question. One of the most common things, as you guys will know, that you hear about Sandy Kelly is that she is a real pro. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, I remember her first team night. It was team night 13, film music. And she sang the most gorgeous rendition of Moon River. But this was a two-night show. And on the first night, she showed up, as everybody does, I guess, for her sound check and run through of the song. However, on the second night, she was the only one to show up for a sound check. Now, I hadn't asked her to come in, but her years of experience and professionalism, I guess, were shining through here. And I really couldn't believe when I saw her there, you know, in early on night two, to leave absolutely nothing to chance and to make sure that tonight's performance was going to be as good as last night's. Her professionalism, however, extends to more than just her performance. Her outfits are legendary. Now, I'm getting to the question here, lads. Hi, folks. This is Radio Luke chiming in to give you a little bit of context for what you are about to hear. Here is a clip of Rory chatting to Stephen O'Dowd from last week's St. Patrick's Day special. That music, I mean, at Christmas time, I was trying to be creative i suppose as such and i was i i took up embroidery at christmas so that definitely kept me busy over <laughs> over christmas uh, forgive me for my ignorance here but what is embroidery it's kind of like stitching but it's like uh it's like if you could it's like drawing with with stitching kind of thing but it's called embroidery so there you have it folks rory revealing his total ignorance of one of the world's finest and oldest arts Anyway, back to the episode. Her professionalism, however, extends to more than just her performance. Her outfits are legendary. Now, I'm getting to the question here, lads. Uh, uh, I've often wondered about the sequins on her dresses oh. or tops. You know, how did they, how do they get them on? Um, Luke, we're going to start with you today. I mean... Mm. Are they embroidered, do you think? And, <laughs> and why, why, I don't know what's so funny about that, Rory. But, uh, while I have you, Luke, more specifically, what is your, your favourite type of embroidery? It's a tough question. Um, it's an awful fine art. Like I, uh, I really like the, the style of the um, Cambodian one-eyed cross stitch. It's popular in about the late <laughs> 1800s. Um, I, I, I quite like that now. Um, what about you? Have you got uh, any... In particular, yeah, man. Style, you like. I mean, that that Cambodian one-eyed cross stitch is <laughs> is unreal. You know, I, mm. I I do I do have to say though, <laughs> 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 I, 
Dad <laughs> told it in. It's, it's so over the top because I didn't know what embro- embroidery was. The Cambodian but one. No, I seriously, cross. seriously, on a serious note, Rory, sorry, don't. <laughs> Here. <laughs> I do prefer the chicken pick patterns. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> this is this is gold. I can't do this. What I'm trying to say, you know, this is so amazing, this embroidery pattern. I just can't get it out, but it's it, it, the chicken pick patterns. <laughs> From the, the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, yes. yes, of course, the chicken pick patterns from the Appalachian Mountains. Those are very good as well. Rory, do you, do you have a favourite type of embroidery? Of course I don't. What kind of stupid question is that? Of course I don't. I didn't know what it was the last week. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's so funny. It's so funny that you started out like tried that so seriously to begin with. And it just oh, fell to pieces. I, I just couldn't hold it together. <laughs> oh god. Oh, that's oh, our first uh, fit of the giggles on in the lamplight, I think. Oh, that was very funny. That, that was good now. Oh um, wow. For anyone Sorry, Rory. You, you, just to confirm, you don't you don't have a favorite type of embroidery. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, I don't. Um, but you do know what it is. I now know what it no. is. Yeah, that's right. that's hilarious, lads. Right, right, oh right. Very God. good. On a more uh, on a more serious note, uh, Rory, you 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 nearly weren't here to record this podcast with us this evening. You yeah. had a mad, you had a mad episode on Friday. Am I right? Yeah. Would yeah. you mind telling us a bit, a bit about it? No, geez, I don't mind at all. I uh, I nearly drown um, out surfing. Funny one, uh, like in a sense that when we had looked up the tides, well, we surf all the time, me and my brother Drew, and we had looked up the tides and there's a certain type of way that we, or a type of wave that we like, you know, this kind of small kind of rolling, little bit of power, nothing too much. So when we saw, it was like something like three or four or five foot and that's kind of perfect for us and went out and <clears throat> met a couple of lads that we know out there so we're bobbing about and chatting and this rogue set came in and uh just like i got held down for for two ways one after the other they were really close together and when it came up the third time um i just took a big deep breath but it was like a deep breath of water so like then so now i'm underwater in it with a powerful set going over again but or another wave going over but now i'm having to cough and i'm thinking if i breathe in now it's done like so I came up panicking Drew was pretty close to me actually and he noticed I was in a bit of distress and he kind of paddled over as fast as he could and he says get on he's shouting at me get on your board get on your board so I got on my board and uh, he just I think he got in behind me I don't really know but he got in behind me and he just shoved me with the next wave kind of like a little bit of a punt you know like kind of I hope this brings him in so I got in then I got into about chest heights and kind of paddled my way in but like it's funny when you lose, like if you, when you're kind of needing oxygen really badly, your legs start to go all wobbly and your arms go all wobbly. And then I couldn't get out of the water and I was falling and Drew was shortly behind me on the next wave, just kind of paddled in and he's kind of holding me out. And then so I had moments I kind of like collapsed onto the sand, but not like intentionally, not like movie style. Like, oh, I've just got out of the water, I need to collapse, I need to, yeah. my, my legs wouldn't hold me up. So yeah, it was a mental one. The lamplight nearly went down to two lads. Wow, oh, that's scary. It is yeah. scary, and, oh, and really like, scary. Yeah, 
how, how do you feel now about getting back in the water again? Great. I went out today. Oh, um, did you? Fair play. Yeah, I went out um, with the old intention of if you fall off the horse to get back on it, you know. Um, and we went out and it was really fun. I think it was it was one of the best surfing days of my life simply because uh, I could I was just out enjoying it. The waves were really small. And I just felt a bit of confidence growing back in as I was paddling out and paddling out. And you didn't really die. Yeah, it's great. Isn't it's it lovely when you go pilot, surfing yeah. and don't nearly yeah. die? Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> it was an eventful weekend, but a great one nonetheless. A uh, lot of lessons learned. One of them kind of sunshine on the face moments, you know, when you feel the sun on your face. I don't mean to be awfully dramatic, but it's a bit like, oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. it open the window and feel the wind coming in the window and go, oh, that's cool. You know what I mean? It was a bit, it was a strange one now, but it was, oh, uh, good. yeah, Lovely. it was good. We get to giggle uncontrollably with you then this evening on the show. So I knew as soon as you said the word embroidery, I was like, these two ages. I wonder how long they've been planning this. <laughs> oh, we couldn't let that slide. We just couldn't let that slide. Um, okay, I think we've done it justice at this stage and it's probably time to move on to the interview. So let's, let's hear, as I said earlier, this was a great chat. Uh, we really enjoyed it. So let's hear what Sandy Kelly had to say to us. Sandy Kelly, you are welcome to In the Lamplight. Thank you, Kieran. Good to be here. It is your first podcast, I hear. My first podcast. Wow. Thank you for telling me what it was, because when you invited me here tonight, I had no idea what I was coming to do. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's not your first interview. No, not my it? first interview. Yeah, no, no. yes. Well, look, it's it's great to have you and thank you for coming. No, no, thank you for the invite. As is tradition, Sandy, on, on In the Lamplight, we begin with a poem. So oh. we have a poem about you. About me? About you. God, you gave me a fright. I thought you were going to ask me to recite a poem. <laughs> no, no, no. That comes later, that comes later in the show, Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so here's a wee poem about you. Okay. She's been on stage since she was three, or so the story goes, working her magic with melody in brilliant, glittering clothes. And in an industry where you must impress or be discarded like the trash, she survived and thrived working with the best, Willie Nelson, and Johnny Cash. She owns the stage. She entertains consistently a pro. And so you know when you hear her name, it's going to be a show. You've probably guessed our guest this week. She's always on the telly. But in truth, right now, we're thrilled to speak with the shining Sandy Kelly. Wow. Am I blushing? Oh, I'm blushing. Oh, that's so sweet. I think well, that's the first time anybody ever wrote a poem about me. Wow, well, there's a lot of firsts tonight already, I'm Sandy. Shuffed now, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Just a bit of crack to start the show. Yeah, but but cool. in fairness, uh, I've I've worked with Phil maybe the last five or six years, and it's, it's it's always been a pleasure. But my favorite moments of working with you have to have been when we've asked you to do a duet. Yeah. Okay. They're my favourite moments too. <laughs> yeah. And so some poor unsuspecting lad gets up to sing a duet with Sandy. Um, and these lads are, you know, experienced performers themselves, mm -hmm. but they usually come off the stage a shadow of their former selves <laughs> after having the Sandy Kelly experience on stage. <laughs> I don't know what, I, I, do you know what? I don't know what it is. I really do. I promise you, I try to behave myself, <laughs> but I just can't. And, and when I see somebody like Georgie Gorman, or Tabby Callahan or whatever. I just can't behave myself, you know. I I just take off and I I, I pep talk myself in the dressing room to behave, be like a lady, don't embarrass them. 
And then you've seen what happens when I go out on the stage. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, but it's I'm, all in fun, you know. But it is, of course. Uh, poor Georgie, I think, was the the worst wasn't he broke a sweat I think didn't he did. he? <laughs> George didn't know where to look he didn't know where to look yeah no. but it's I mean in all seriousness it's, it's all part of you know your stage presence which is which is second to none and it's Thank something you. I've learned hugely from you and I'm sure Thank lots you. of the theme night performers would watch you on a show and say wow this is how it's done I don't even re- I'm not even aware of that honestly right I, to me I'm just you know I'm just there doing what I've always done and and um, of course, it's always nice when somebody says something like that, but you don't see yourself like that, you know. Sure. The, the stage to me is very much, although I'm terrified to put my foot on it before I go out there. Once I get out there for some reason, that fear leaves me and I have to make some sort of eye contact with the audience. I hate venues that, that are completely dark. And you can't see the people because once I make eye contact or I see somebody, even if it's only the front row or the second row, then I'm okay because I know that they're nice and they, you know, they're not going to kill me or yeah. <laughs> something awful is not going to happen, you know. Yeah. Um, and so tell us about, you, you just mentioned you, you, you're nervous going on stage. You terrible. Say, right, terrible. still. Still. If I have, um, even, you know, coming to your theme nights or any night, they're all the same. Um, I would be very nervous. And, you know, your nights, when I do my own show, say I'm probably the only girl on there or maybe one other. And so I, I have my own dressing room, mm. not because I'm better than anybody else, but we know other girls like. Sure. But when I do your theme night, there's about like 20 girls in the dressing room and there's all a flurry of, of putting on makeup and what they're going to wear, or what they're not going to wear. And when I come in, they probably don't notice, or maybe they do, I don't know. They're all lovely. And now I know them all and they're friends, but I kind of get a little corner, you know, hmm. and I, I have a, a habit of, um, I bring a towel. I'm sure they think I'm a right diva. <laughs> I bring a towel and the towel goes down first and then my makeup brushes go down and then my makeup goes down and then my earrings go there. And it's like a ritual. Right. And I have my little, I have a couple of uh, relics and I have a couple of little good luck things, you know, and uh, that all, that's like my process. But when I'm doing your, when I'm doing my own show, I have, like, I have like this one. When I'm doing your show, I have like this much here. Yeah. And, and everybody's just scurrying around. So by the time I get out to the stage, I'm terrified. Right, right. Because you can't get in that little In that little zone. zone. Yeah, Your yeah. process is different. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, it's wonderful in, in so many ways because I get to be like everybody else. And, you know, the way I, I started out, you know, um, being young and excited and, you know, all the girls are, they're wonderful. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And I, some new friends for me too. Great. Great. Well, um, I guess, right. That's off stage. But as we mentioned, when you come on stage, you're a different person altogether. And I, I know. That's I mean, funny for me to hear you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know that. You well, know, it's, it's, it's I, I guess, as we said in the poem a few minutes ago, mm. now I don't know, is this accurate, but I've certainly read or I've heard <laughs> along the way that You've been on stage since you were three. Actually, would you believe I was on stage before that? Because it's always funny to me when somebody inevitably will ask, you know, why did you decide to be in show business or Mm. what age were you when you started? Well, I was carried on stage in nappies as a baby. If they needed a baby in a sketch or a play on my my family's fit up roadshow, well, they would grab me. They used to call me the elf. Okay. You know, somebody grabbed the elf and bring the elf on stage. Yeah. And I would be there before I could talk or walk. Yeah. So I never really had a choice. Okay. And maybe, maybe that's why I don't feel that 
nervous once I get out there. Maybe that's why it leaves me, you know, because I, in a way, it's home. It's I've been I've been out there so long. Yeah, yeah. It's it's home, and it has helped me escape so many things. Okay. To uh, get out there and perform, forget stuff. Well, yeah, you know, we all have in our lives, like we all have trauma, and we all have, you know, an emotional roller coaster of some kind. And in my case, I've had many, you know, between show business court cases. Um, I mean. You can ask me in depth if you want to. There's, yeah, there's sure. too much to get into. Well, yeah. um, but once I go out on stage over the years, y- you have to leave that behind. But you do, however, get to sing about it through a song. You know, could be heartbreak, could be a love song, could be anger, could be something you're happy about. So over the years, I've actually saved a fortune on, on shrinks. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm sane, but I'm relatively sane. Yeah. You get an audience full of shrinks every night. I do. <laughs> and, and they're actually paying me. That's the way I look at it. And, and no matter what's wrong with me, and I swear, I, I mean this a thousand percent, no matter what's wrong with me when I go out on that stage, before I go out, I can guarantee you it's gone by the time I put my foot off the stage and I get paid. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? No brainer, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Sandy, you're the, you're the first guest on our show who has been on stage at an age younger than Luke. We, wow. inter- we interviewed well, Luke a few weeks ago, Sandy, and uh, Luke was, Luke was the, the main, like he was, he was the main man around the Northwest gig circuit at the age of five. No way. Yeah. I was probably on stage from when I was about three. They used to, <laughs> you talk about being, uh, they used to call you the elf. They physically used to dress me up as a leprechaun when I was five or six and send me out on the stage behind an accordion that was nearly oh bigger than God. me. Like, but yeah, I so. think I've just got my next duet partner. There you go, <laughs> Sandy. <laughs> I say the leprechaun outfit still fits. I haven't, gr- I haven't grown gonna, much since then. Say, can you imagine if we went out dressed as two leprechauns? <laughs> the elf and the leprechaun. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, it is. I tell you, God, it's that gas. was young, Luke, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, it's not as young as Karen said. It was not as young as you, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, oh, we did that what, seven what, nights a week. Yeah, I was going to ask Andy, what types of shows were these? It was a family show. It, yeah, it would be before your time. They were mm. called fit up uh, road shows, traveling mm. road shows, and it would have been before anybody would have had television or anything like that. And uh, my grandfather started the show mm. in 1924, wow. and uh, he was called Dusky Dan, right. which is not. Uh, uh, p- correct to say just now, but he was, you know, the black and white minstrels and all that sort of thing okay. was the thing at the time. So he would um, perform. He was a comedian, also an actor. He ha- played the banjo and he would put sand in his pocket and he would do a sand shuffle, you know, with those kind of black and white shoes. What do you call them? Spats, is it, or something? I don't know what Winkle they're pickers. called, but I know the ones you're I, talking no. about. No, not Winkle <laughs> No, they're kind of like round shoes you'd see them in the old movies and stuff and like a, a white round thing in the top anyway so he would do that and um then of course uh, his wife my grandmother uh she was a wonderful singer and i i'm not just saying that she was an incredible singer mm. and she used to yodel as well so so then they had children and their children are children whom i'm one of mm. and so there was a show with the full cast and uh, we lived in caravans and we would go from uh, village to village in rural Ireland, field to field mm. sometimes and um, perform. Uh, the play was, a, uh, the show was a variety show. So it would be drama, comedy, music, magic. Um, and it's kind of like a vaudeville type. Amazing. Thing. 
Mm. And did you, your, your singing talent then, was, did, did that... Well, was, everybody sang on the show, Kieran. Okay, so, so I was, I was going to say, did you ever, okay, did you just learn as you went or did you ever get any formal training or was it no, just I, a very I, natural I was, thing for you? I, I had to do all the Shirley Temple songs and okay. the tap dancing and stuff for that. Okay. And then, as I said, I would take part in the plays if there was a child part, take part in the sketches for the same reason. I was the magician's assistant. My uncle Jack, uh, he... Uh, was a magician, but also he could hypnotize people. And so I used to dress up. I was only three. Right. I used to dress up as a little, um, little yellow satin trousers and a little turban. And um, I would help him with the tricks. So yeah. really everybody that was on the show had to do something. There was nobody idle. Yeah. And uh, my dad, how he met my mother, the show was out in Ballantohar. Right. I pulled into to uh, Balintohar and my mother made the huge mistake of going to the show. Right. <laughs> and my dad uh, threw the old lad eye on her. Right. And uh, she very much liked him. Right. Um, and that's how they met. Okay. And so she was at the show every night then because she got a free ticket. Nice. <laughs> um, my granny, uh, Granny B, uh, they were came from a farming background, but not very well off. But compared to to my grandmother's family, they would have thought that my father's family were just very, very low. You okay, know? okay. So there was a lot of that in that day. Was there? Know? I was going to ask. Was there yeah, any... Pr- so like, my, did- my grandmother went crazy when she heard that my mother was interested in the showman. Okay, right. You know, so... Because there was a thing about... <clears throat> The showman and traveling from town to town. And well, yeah, I suppose if you lived in a caravan and you traveled from town to town, that wasn't looked right. upon. And the, the strange thing for me as a child was that I never saw any disapproval of any kind when I was on the stage. I was always looking at a sea of smiling faces and clapping hands. But if when I wasn't on the stage, when I was just out and about, maybe in whatever village we'd be in, in the shop or whatever, people found it very hard. Not everybody, but some people found it very hard to communicate or to, we were looked down upon by a lot of people, yeah. Wow. Okay. There's an awful element of hypocrisy to that though, isn't there? That, you know, we're happy to sit down and, and, and watch you sing and perform and, and have you entertain us, but God, no, we don't want to be associated with <laughs> It was exactly like, like that, that's, yeah. that's really just so wrong. Now, not everybody would have been like that. There were some, you know, really nice people. But I, I remember even as a child um, feeling very different. Mm. And I suppose... That has continued with me all my life. You know, that stayed I, I, with you. I, that has stayed yeah. with me, and not in a, not necessarily in a negative way, because I think something like that can make you a victim or an achiever. And uh, thankfully, I think it made me an achiever. But I, I definitely um, have never felt I belonged anywhere. You know, everybody has a place. I envy people because they. I know. I know everybody is proud to be from somewhere. Mm. But I actually don't have that. You know, I can say I love Strandhill and I do. Mm. And I can say I love Ballantour, but I don't really feel like I belong anywhere. And you trace that back to the it reaction you be, got yes. as, as a child? Well, I suppose in my lifestyle too, because I didn't start school till I was almost nine. Okay. And by that time I could sell sand to the Arabs. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you learned all the, all the life lessons you needed nearly at that God's stage. God's sake, I could run rings around them. Yeah, I'd say in, so. in every sense of the word. Like, I mean, um, I was up to all the tricks in the book, you know, as you can imagine, you know me well enough to know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I certainly have got that impression of you over the years, Sandy, that you're, you're, as you say, you're a survivor, you know, you're, 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 you know, 
um, you you don't last this long in our industry without being a survivor, I think, you know, and without having a certain steel. And I think that's another thing too, you know, uh, why I have survived. Uh, because a lot of my friends, you know, have sur- friends who are survivors, definitely. You know, people like Philomena Begley, who's, she'd be probably my best friend, mm. who are incredible. But I've seen people fall by the wayside too, along the years, you know. Mm. If you think of it, I'm 67. My birthday was uh, last month. Okay. And it was a great day for me because I actually thought I was 68. So you gained a year. You I gained a year. We're all so doing I'm... that with COVID. We're all saying last year doesn't count. Doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. So it was like amazing. The best birthday ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, what was I saying? <laughs> the dementia. You were saying that you've seen people fall along the wayside over the years. Yeah. But I think that the reason that I have survived, um, I don't mean professionally, I mean, as a person mm. is because I never lived show business. It was always just my life and it was always what I did, but I never put any importance into it. Like okay. when I came home, no matter what I was doing, could have been working with Johnny Cash or whatever. I still did my washing and washed my floors and did my cooking. I never had anybody else to do it. There were times when I couldn't afford to pay the milkman. There was times when I couldn't afford to pay the school bus for Willie. Mm. You know, I was never, I, ne- I was you never. You never lived, despite working no, in showbiz, you never lived the showbiz lifestyle. I was able lifestyle. to walk off the stage, get yeah. into the car and leave it behind me. Yeah. That, that was a different person. Well, that, that seems to be the key, doesn't it? You know, you, it, you, it, it seems it's to be. What, it's what I think. Yeah. You know, it's what I think that, that I'm comfortable anywhere. I, I don't, like I've met people over the years, um, all due respects to them, mm. uh, who think they're, they're something special. Mm. But we're all the same, mm. you know, yeah. and, and really the bigger stars that I met, like Johnny Cash mm. and Willie Nelson, they were actually the most humble and basic people I ever met. It's, it, 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 it was people who were sort of less talented. Yeah. And they'd, they'd more to prove maybe, whereas the... Yeah. And you know what the sad thing is? Yeah. Like they're never going to, they never were happy and they're never going to be happy because they're still in the race all the time. Yeah. You know, I, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sure you yeah. do. I'm sure you know what I mean. Yeah. They're always in the race. Yeah. You know, you've yeah. won the race. You've done it. Move yeah. over. It's somebody else's. Think, yeah. Constantly thinking about doing it as opposed to just doing it. Doing it. Yeah. Just doing it. Or, or why did this not happen? Or yeah, why did, yeah, yeah. why was it not me? Or, you know. Yeah, it's the same. We, we see it on the, the Sligo Jazz Project every summer, Sandy, mm. that Eddie Lee runs. And world-class musicians who, who are known you know, the whole world over in their field. And like, like you mentioned, Johnny Cash or Willie Nelson, these guys are the top of their game and they're the most sound people and sound ladies. And they're just so nice to hang around. Whereas some of the people trying to get there yeah. can be a bit more chippy and, and, and a little bit less, you know, less easy to deal with. It can uh, be a very cutthroat business in that yeah, respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, it probably can kind of almost depend as well on, on what aspect of the industry you're in it for. You know, you talk about not, uh, living the lifestyle, so to speak. I'm sure there are plenty of people in the industry who are, that the music is almost secondary to them, but they've been seduced by this, the lifestyle of the industry, whereas the people you talk about, like Willie Nelson or or Johnny Cash, they're probably in it for the music first and and foremost. And that's probably what keeps them a little bit more grounded and a bit more humble because they can walk into a room and 
they're looking for the music and I've never met you before. Where do you come from? Where do you play? On as yeah, opposed to walking into a room and going, now I am on this level, but you are on yeah. this level. And we've all witnessed that, haven't we? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, sure. def- definitely. And y- you know, that must be very tiresome. That must be an awful thing to have to do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so much easier just to do what you do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, and do it the best you can. Yeah. Sandy, um, we can't let you go any further, if you don't mind, without asking, how did this whole Johnny Cash thing come about? I've, I've, I've heard a few versions of this story, um, but I'd love to I'm hear it from you. I'm you don't know because I've told it so many well, times. Well, <laughs> I've actually never heard it from you, and I'm sure our listeners would love, love to hear it as well. So um, go on. Uh, um, I was I, crazy. Was that I, I'd, made, I'd been in pop music for years, as you know, and we did the Eurovision and all that. Yes, yes. And I'd had lots of top. 10 records and whatever, but it, that doesn't really doesn't mean anything. We were gigging. Yeah. You know, the, okay. with the You're making bands, a living. the Duskies. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. working yeah. marquees and festivals and whatever. But I always loved country music and I would sing, always do Emily Harris, um, Juice Newton, you know, that type of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so I decided, I would always sing that in the pop band. So I decided I wanted to go country and um, so I made that change crossover. Okay. And had an album and whatever, a year, a year and a half went by. I was gigging with the country band. It was very difficult because um, some of my peers in country music, not all of them are there again, but some of them didn't accept me because I was a pop singer. Yeah. Okay. So once again, you were looked down on perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And wore my skirts a little bit too short. And okay. at a time bef- when Shania Twain wasn't even thought of, I moved too much apparently. All right. Yeah. So I, 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 w- I wasn't, yeah. you know, <laughs> so I went through all that. Um, so then I did an album, which is called Paradise Tonight and um, in Dublin and Nicky Byrne, who, who, this was pre Anya, but he did all her album. And I must tell you a funny story. I was up, the, his studio was in his house and uh, I didn't, didn't really even know how important he was. Yeah. So we went up and he went, they used to, they were kind of hippie-ish, lovely lovely people. And there was this girl used to be sitting on the windowsill reading a book and she was always very nice and she'd always speak. And then I eventually found out her name was Anya. All right. Still didn't mean it to me because I remember I was brought up in Wales, so yeah. I didn't know these people. Okay. So um, she would be there every day and we, I was there for weeks and doing this album, whatever. And um, uh, Nikki said to me, I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting here with this and Anya is actually a singer-songwriter. I said, oh, that's lovely, isn't it? So w- would you like to hear what we're doing? And I said, yeah, I didn't really want to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. So anyway, we put on all this stuff and it was like this kind of eerie, wailing-y type track, of, you know, double-tracked and treble-tracked and, you know, yeah. voice upon layered, layered, you know what I mean? You know, because you're an, an engineer. Yeah. And I remember I said, wow, you know, wow. Yeah. And I, I kind of left going, Jesus Christ, where the hell are they going with that? That's never going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little biggest seller of They knew exactly where they were going with that. They knew exactly where they were going. But that's the thing about me. Sure, I haven't a clue, you know. Yeah. I really, in that sense. But anyway, what was I supposed to be talking You were telling about? us the Johnny Cash story. Oh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that album, Paradise Tonight, Crazy was on it. Right. And uh, I was out promoting. We had the pirate stations at that time. And I was out in my beat-up car and... Uh, I was in Cavan somewhere. I can't remember where. I wish I could. Right. I knocked on the door and had the 
the vinyl in my hand and said, uh, hello, I'm Sandy Kelly and it's my new record. Would you give it a tar- play? And, you know, come on in, of course I will and we'll do an interview and whatever. So we did that and um, I, after the interview, the disc jockey, the phone rang and the disc jockey came back to me and he said, um, there's some fellow with an American accent on the phone for you. Right. And I said, an American accent in the middle of Cavan, like in 1988, <laughs> right. maybe. And so I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And he said, hi, is that, is that Sandy Kelly? This is Johnny Cash. And I said, I know his daddy Parton, pull the other one. It has bells on it. <laughs> and he kept saying, no, hon, this really is Johnny Cash. And after a few times I said, Jesus Christ, are you Johnny Cash? He said, I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought, oh my God, my mouth got so dry. Thought, oh, Jesus Christ, what do you say to Johnny Cash? And I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he said, oh, June and I, we were listening to you on the radio in the car. And I didn't even know he was in Ireland. Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, thank you. That's lovely. And we really liked your version of Crazy and we would love to meet you. And I'm thinking, oh, that would be lovely. And I didn't know what to say. Hmm. So he said, we're playing in Oma tonight. Right. Oma, playing yeah. Oma tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we'd like you to come to the show. And when you when you get there, I want you to come backstage and ask for me. So I just say, yes, yes, yeah. So I hung up the phone. The, the, the Your man that was took the phone call was ready to pass out because yeah. he now realised he'd answered the phone yeah, to Johnny Cash. Yeah. So there was no speak out of him at all. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't going to be no good. So I, I kind of pulled myself together. I knew I'd been wearing the same jeans for two days uh, and it didn't have very much money. Uh, and what way would you do this? So I asked him, could I use the phone? And I rang home and I said, Mike, uh, can you please get me my leather skirt in the, in the, in the wardrobe and uh, my jacket and, and, and meet me in Oma because I'm going to meet Johnny Cash. And he said, <laughs> So funny. He said, stop messing, will you? Yeah. I said, no, Jesus Christ, will you stop? Will you listen? You have to do it right now. <laughs> Johnny Cash. So he said, you really meeting Johnny? I said, Jesus Christ, I'm meeting Johnny Cash. So anyway, he did that. And uh, we we met at a pub somewhere and I put the skirt on and the tights and yeah. fixed the hair and put on the makeup and whatever. And, uh, the one time you had less space than the theme night dressing room, Sandy. <laughs> I think I had a lot less space. Yeah. I think I was in the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going. I shouldn't have said that because I'm never going to live that down. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I get there and I, I all the way in the the car, I was saying to myself, I was practicing what I'd say. Hello, hello. Oh, you must be Johnny Cash. I'm Sandy. Ke- <laughs> hello, hi. I'm Sandy. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so, everything I said sounded stupid. Sure. So anyway, I knocked on the door and the bodyguards were then they opened it. The door. I said, <clears throat> Johnny Cash said I was to come around and look for, ask for me. <laughs> <laughs> and as you're saying it, like you just said, I did know. I just say it? That's a sentence I never thought I'd say. <laughs> anyway, okay. They opened the door and said, Oh, we'll tell Mr. Cash that you're here. So I'm standing there anyway, aging by the minute. And the door across from me opens and out he walks. Oh, sorry, just before that, I seen a fella called Neely who was my number one fan. And I didn't know he was going to be there. I didn't know I was going to be there, but he was taking photographs. He was a photographer. And uh, Neely was there to take pictures. And so I grabbed Neely. I said, Neely, when Johnny Cash walks out that door, I'm going to get up beside him like that. 
And whatever you do, take a picture because I'll never see him again. And I want a picture with Johnny Cash. <laughs> so he said, I got it. Don't worry. And he had one of these cameras, you know, like, the, like this. So Johnny walked out the door anyway. And I swear to God, he looked 10 foot tall and he had boots up to here and a big, long black coat. I thought, oh, my God. Like, I couldn't even move, never yeah. mind speak. Yeah. So I, he said, oh, hi, you must be Sandy Kelly. And he says, Waylon told me all about you. Uh, After well. me deciding what I'd say to him. Because yeah. I had done a tour with Waylon Jennings just before that. Yeah. So I swung around. He must have thought I was a lunatic to get the picture. <laughs> and Neely had fainted. He was lying <laughs> on his <laughs> So he was on his back. And he must have gone straight back because the camera was still on his chest. Ah, and he was lying on the floor. And I thought, what the hell? Well, who's going to take the picture? Yeah. And I could see the two bodyguards. They opened the exit door, grabbed Neely and put him lying on the boot of a, on the bonnet of a car and left him the camera. <laughs> on. So that oh, was my it. God. Wow. It sounds it sounds like and it must be the filmmaker in me or something, but all I could imagine was someone dashing over to a payphone. Johnny, you're really gonna dig this sound and holding the holding the the receiver up to the Johnny, get me that girl on the phone. And like, <laughs> whirlwind of like uh, it sounded amazing, Sandy. <laughs> but anyway, so, I did, at this point I didn't know I was gonna sing. Okay, yeah. And um so he brought me into the restaurant room, which was very basic and all as you can imagine. Mm. And um he he told his manager, Lou Robin was there. Um who'd been his manager for years. So he sent him to get the band. So obviously not the brass players, but the drummer came in and the guitar player and the bass player that, you know, yeah. came in, drummer just bought the sticks. And he said, I want you to sing uh, four Patsy Klein songs tonight. Wow. 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 And would you, would you believe it? I only bloody knew four Patsy Klein <laughs> songs. <laughs> I'd only learned four yeah. for, for the album. I did because I didn't want to record any Patsy Klein songs. Wow. I didn't want to record Crazy. Oh, I, I was dragged into the studio screaming and shouting yeah, like wow. a brat. And so I gave them the songs I Fall to Pieces, Crazy, Faded Love and Sweet Dreams. So they rehearsed them in the dressing room. And I ended up on the stage with Johnny Cash that night. That's amazing. That's amazing. Such a story. Yeah. We, we do well to top that one, lads, I yeah. think. <laughs> that was well, not I, good I never the thought though, that I'd see him again and... and at the end of the night, he, he, him, I met June then, of course, and everything. And uh, he said, are you, have you any plans to come to Nashville? And I said, well, oddly enough, I said, I'm going to Nashville in June to sing at the international show in Fanfare. I've been invited by the CMA. Um, and he said, oh, Christ, this could only be me. He said, here's my number. When you get to Nashville, ring. Now, if anybody else was telling you the story, you wouldn't believe it, would mm, you? Mm, 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 mm. Ring our house when you come to Nashville. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we want you to come, June and I want you to come out to the house. So I said, oh, thank you. That would be lovely. But know the way you're thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, is this politeness or, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, the months rolled on. I get to Nashville, myself and Mike. And Willie was about 12, 11 or 12 or something. And my sister, my late sister, Barbara. And, uh, I lost them. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> so and you I, couldn't look him up on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the CMA and registered for the festival. And I said, on the way out, I said to the lady, I said, just before I go, 
would you please be able to get me Johnny Cash's number? Because he asked me to come to his house. As you started yeah, true, true story. Yeah, I can only imagine. Like, oh, he did, yeah. See you later, Sandy. Thank you, <laughs> She said, do you have any idea how many people come in here looking for <laughs> And I said, I swear to God, I swear to God. So she, she just laughed and I just said, well, that's it. You know, we're not, we're not going to see him. Yeah. And I know this is a long story. This is a brilliant story. Keep going. But anyway, I just, we had very little money, as I said, and uh, the CMA p- paid our way over there and all that. So the one treat for the, for the whole uh, trip was going to be my first time to, to go see a show at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. And, um, so we, I bought four tickets for the Grand Ole Opry and that was the only money that we had, mm-hmm. you know, to spend on something nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm getting ready. We were going home the next day and the Opry was tonight. Okay. So you can imagine the excitement. The only yeah. one that wasn't excited was Willie. Yeah. He thought, mm, <laughs> boring. Do I have to go to the Grand Ole Opry? Yeah. So the phone rang in my room. I picked it up and it was your woman from the CMA. All right. And she said, you're not going to believe this, but Johnny Cash rang here looking for you. Ah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, did you now? Yes. <laughs> I said, I told you he was looking for me. So she said, I'll drive you out there. Of course she would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to get inside the gate. <laughs> so she drove us out anyway. And June met us at the gate. They were having, a, they were launching um, June's Mabel Carter, Mother Mabel. Uh, they were launching her cookbook and um, she met us at the gate with these, what do you call those Hawaiian necklaces, the flower things? It's like a, it's a, a, a lay, it's a lay, isn't it? A flower lay. She had a whole a, load of those yeah, in her yeah, arm yeah, and yeah, she was putting them over your head. Oh yeah, day. okay. And so there was a marquee on, on their um, tennis court. And I swear to God, when I went through the door of the marquee, at every table was the face of somebody that was on the cover of an album in my sitting room. Yeah. Oh, no that was what, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like Rodney Crowell was there, Roseanne Cash, Dottie West. I mean, just all their friends. How did you hold yourself together? I I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. I just, I I was just like. You just go to autopilot. It was like, I know. So (laughs) I'm just thinking like, well, they're not going to remember who I am. That's all I kept thinking. So we sat at the table and we were shown to a table and it was was like a buffet style from the cookbook. And I went queued up with everybody <laughs> we said that was, we're waiting to be thrown we're waiting to be thrown out every five minutes <laughs> probably, at least we were going to get fed because we couldn't afford to eat after the opera get the dinner in <laughs> I had four tickets in my bag for the, for the grand old opera so so we sat at the table and I just went to put the first mouthful into my mouth no I forgot to tell you that he was on a little stage in the middle all right. With the black shirt and one of these things on him. Singing with an acoustic guitar, Johnny. Class. No way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He wow. was just singing away. Entertaining the guests. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't realise then, because I'd only been to Nashville once before, that everybody sings, you know. Yeah. So I, I was just putting the fork to my mouth. He said, well, I'm just back from Ireland and I met this girl, Sandy Kelly. I thought, oh my God, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. And he said, she's going to come on up here. Aren't you, Sandy? Come on up here and give us a few songs. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I had to get up and sing a few songs. So I told him the story about meeting Johnny Cash, yeah. as I just told you. Yeah. And uh, really, they just wanted me to talk, not sing at all, because of the Irish accent. And uh-huh. yeah. So I got back down off the stage and then Roseanne got up and Rodney Cowell got up and all the people that were there. They were all singing. And I relaxed then. 
Lou Robin came over to me, manager, and he said, look, Johnny wants you and your family to stay after the party is over and come over to the house with him in June. Uh, he wants to talk to you. Now, I had the four tickets for the Grand Ole Opry oh, in my oh, bag. Oh, wow, yeah. Well, look, it's... So the, the, there's a decision <laughs> to be made there. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's much of a decision to be made, really. A split-second <laughs> decision. I was never going to see the Opry because I was never going to be able to afford to go back to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Thanks be to God, I left them in my bag. Yeah. And I said nothing. And I still have them with stubs on them. Do you? No yeah. way. I wow. still have the wow. tickets wow. and stuff. And I and say Willie was devastated that he didn't get to go to the Grand Ole Opry. He was so <laughs> <laughs> He was running around Johnny Cash's house like a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went over and he was in a rocking chair doing my coffee. And that's the night that he gave me the song Woodcarver. Okay. Amazing. Is, it's not a short story. It's a brilliant story. <laughs> it's a story worth story. hearing. And do you know what? Do you know what I think one of the amazing, enduring legacies of that story is? And it's something you might never have thought about before. But as a result of that story, there's a girl, or there was a girl working in the Country Music Association who forevermore after that second guessed herself every time somebody told That's her that Johnny Cash is looking for a phone number. Jesus, I was wrong one time before. Yeah. So I was really wrong one time. So that yeah. was a decision for her, a big yeah. decision for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant, Sandy. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much for telling us that. And well, look, we could stay here chatting all day, but we do actually play some music on this show as well. Okay. And so we thought, um, we thought we'd we'd have to play Woodcarver to start off. That would be lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's let's have a listen to that. Something you'll have to do 
ever do you mind if I watch your hands are so smooth and your chisel so sharp I promise that I will not get in your way woodcarver please let me stay well I can carve you your house I can carve you your man but I can give you much more with these wood carving hands no you won't be a bother if you want to stay do you know what I'm trying to say I could make it real for you I'm as real as the wood that I use I could make your dreams come true there's nothing more you'd have to do Runs through the mountains and under the trees. Would Carver do this for me? That was Sandy Kelly singing Wood Carver along with Johnny Cash. And folks, that is about all we have time for in this episode. Do join us this Friday, the 26th of March, 2021, for part two of our chat with Sandy Kelly. Until then, from me, Radio Luke, and all of us here at In the Lamplight, uh, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.